0: Join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. The Republican Party and the Democrat Party have been the two primary political parties in the United States for 150 years. Going back to George Washington, he advised that a two-party system would be ruinous for our country. However, right after his term as president, we have been basically a two-party system. The system, the party names have changed a little bit, but... We have primarily been a two-party system going all the way back to the beginning of 1800. So what would happen if things changed? What if the United States was not primarily a two-party system? What are the pros and what are the cons? And then what would the effect be if, in fact, we expanded the party system? Welcome to another episode of Counterthought. Today's episode features an interview with David Pollack. And before I bring David on, I want to first talk about a couple things regarding this two-party political system. So the Republican Party and the Democrat Party have existed for, as they are today, for about 150 years or so. And prior to that, going back to George Washington, there were, it has evolved over time to end up where we are today. Some of the dangers of the two-party political system that were we were warned about were that You know, the two parties, they would, in order to, they would, it would be more of an expansion to welcome more people into their tent instead of staying to their core beliefs and trying to attract and invite other people in. Instead of being an invitation, it would be an expansion. And with the expansion, you would lose the steadfast, holding to your steadfastly to the principles of your party. And then also along with that, there would be this jockeying of power, which we witness every election cycle. You know, if we can just get a hold of the executive branch, if we can also get a hold of of the legislative branch, if we can have both houses of Congress, then we can do this and that, and we can rule this country, you know? But as we have seen this political, the two-party system, and yes, we have smaller parties within the United States. You know, we have the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, Um, you know, you have like your independents, which, you know, they today, I guess, are more like moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats and things like that. But we have other parties within America. However, we have two primary parties. Other countries around the world do not have that. England has somewhere around, I think, eight to ten parties. Japan is, I think, around four or five. And, you know, they seem to be functioning just fine. So is it time for America to do something like that? And if America did change the the party system, what would be what would be the the consequences of that? What are the pros? What are the cons? Would there need to be then a change to the Electoral College? Would there need to be some kind of of um, equal like a level set for the new parties that would then be not formed, but give give these smaller parties equal footing with the monsters of the. The monster size of the Republican and Democrat parties; these are all things that we need to, to consider, because the division in this country, as I said in the open, is as bad as it you could argue is as bad as it has ever has ever been. And within the Republican and Democrat party as as it exists today, I believe that there, you know, each one has subgroups. They're, you know, they have the conservative wing. You have. I know it's not the best term for them, but you have like your, your old school Republicans or, or rhinos as people say, then you have your, your far right. And then on the Democrat side of the aisle, you have, you know, your moderates and then you have your liberals and then you have your progressives and your Democrat socialists and everything. So maybe it actually wouldn't be too difficult to break up the beast of the Democrat party and the Republican party and have these smaller parties and then find a way to put them on the same footing. But these are all questions that I want to ask my guest, David Pollack. So I'm going to go ahead and bring David in right now. All right, I'm pleased to be joined now by David Pollack. He is a lawyer, a political consultant, and contributor to The Buff Show. David, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, this this topic is outside of, of the, uh, the trending news, you know, of the week and everything. So really excited just to have a, a deeper discussion about the the two-party political system here that exists in America. Granted, there are, you know, there are more than two parties, right? But it's the it's the two primary that go and get all the funding and everything else and the recognition for, you know, federal elections and, and what have you. But I guess just first to start, what is your view of the two-party system if we can just go ahead and kind of level set with with the audience?
1: Oh, we're just gonna jump right into it. Yeah, yeah let's get into that. But real quick, I want to say. Uh, it's a privilege to be on your show and being asked questions from you um, on your end now, because I remember you came on my show uh, when I was filling in for Buff and I, mm-hmm. and you're so good at what you do. You listen and then you ask questions. And I remember you asked me a question and it was a great led to a great conversation. I'm like, here you are asking me questions on my show. So now I'm on your show and you're asking me questions and. I don't think I'm going to, I won't ask you any questions, but it's really yeah, fun to
0: yeah, be on I, <laughs> Yeah. I, I remember I couldn't turn off the host switch, right? For my appearance on, uh, brief appearance on the radio. I was, that yeah. was just in host mode. And uh, yeah. I'd like another bite at the apple in the future, if I ever could on the Buff Show and uh, actually have a discussion instead of, you know, kicking the kicking the question right back to you. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, we had it. That was a great show. We had a lot of fun. So anyway, it is my pleasure to be here and, and uh, I'm looking forward to your questions. So going back to your question about the two-party political or the two-party system um i don't think i'm not sure many people would disagree with what i'm about to say is and that's the two-party system stinks uh it's destroying the country uh we knew it would destroy the country and as we talked about when, when you're on the show with me is even washington even warned about the the uh problem with the two-party system and, and what it could lead to and you know it's almost been with us since our inception we've always had disagreements from the very beginning we've seen how ugly politics can be Mm -hmm. and it's not just recently i mean people tend to look at where we are now and be like man the end is coming civil war is coming this is awful you know the rhetoric is awful the politics are disgusting i thought the same thing about two years ago it was in the peak of covid um Mm -hmm. and i was bored and i'm sitting there like (laughs) you know it was right around the 2020 election i mean it felt like the world was falling apart and i'm sitting here like man, are we really going to another civil war so i started doing something novel uh and as i looked up history and i said well let me go to our country's history and i started listening to a podcast and i mentioned it on the buff show it was called history that doesn't suck and so i started listening from basically just before the revolutionary war onward learning about you know the founding fathers and and how we ended up forming as a country the wars and and on all the stories that went along from, you know, 1776 before actually, and then and then to where we are now. And what you'll find is that American history is is full of a lot of this political rhetoric, all this fighting and a lot of horrible mm-hmm. things. I mean, there was there was some some people like John Adams and Hamilton and Jefferson, and some of these people hated each other and yeah. the things they said about each other and the things they did. And we had fake news back then too. We had newspapers that were literally created to write false things about political opponents. So none of this is new. Fake news isn't new. It's just the the way we have fake news now. I mean it's much more sophisticated fake news. Back right. then they just wrote it down in a newspaper and published it. But so it's always been like this. We've always had this sort of um, you know I disagree with you. Who, how many people can I get behind me to to win my argument? And that's mm-hmm. really our political parties right now and that's what we're seeing. It's like you know we have a group of people in one party who's they want to, to run the country one way. We have a group of people in another political party. They want to run the country another way. And it's how many people can I get standing behind me so we can run our country our way. And it's the 49 to 51%. And we've seen it now election after election after election. And right. if we keep living in a world where the 51 is always uh, governing the 49 and the 49 feels like they don't have a voice. Um, we are going to go to a place where in modern times, it's a little bit different than it was in, in, in historic times where Everything is so instant. You know, you can go on social media and you can arrange a protest. You can go on so many social media and find somebody's address. You can uh, inspire people to go protest outside of a Supreme Court justice's house. We live in different times with the trans- transfer of information is so rapid and we're mm-hmm. global. You can hop on an airplane and engage in, in, in you know, political discourse in another country now. So the consequences are of our inability to get along with one another in a political system are definitely more significant now, though, I think. Um So yeah, so I think the two party system is is not good for our country. I don't like it. But then again, what other options do we have? Because we've seen attempts to to do a third party. We've had the Green Party come and go. We have libertarians come and go. You know, nobody's ever been able to get more than four percent. And inevitably. Independent was
0: Perot in the late nineties, right? Or was it ninety two? I forget which one. He sunk he sunk Bush, right? W or HW well
1: Yes, and they always. Isn't that funny though? When one of these big parties lose, they always blame somebody else. And like, I think <laughs> it was Bush v. Gore. Who did they blame for Bush v. Gore? Um,
0: uh, I don't. I don't remember. That was. Um,
1: there was somebody Bush,
0: else. Bush v. Bush v. Gore was was it the Nader? election? Was, it? was was election was the election before my the first one I could vote in?
1: Okay, my, so fir, my first my cr- first
0: one was Bush Kerry. Oh,
1: okay. Uh, so I, I have reading books. <laughs> yeah, I think it was either I think did you say Ralph, who was that you said was the one that uh that that got in the middle was it you oh, said it was Ross Perot? Uh,
0: yeah, but that was for HW and I think right, versus, I think it was Ralph Clinton. Nader. Ralph Nader. I think it was yeah, Nader that sounds familiar. Nader
1: weird. in 2000 that that was like the I think it was the Green Party candidate or something. Anyway, Hanging Chad's, right? So, um <laughs> that was the third party. <laughs> it was the Hanging Chad. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, that's the issue. We've never been able to have a, a third party. What we have had throughout history is sort of like a restructuring of parties. And you start to see where, you know, the Republican part, for example, grew out of a, an abolitionist movement. And, that you know, you have these parties where they don't really agree with each other anymore. You had Democrats and Southern Democrats that didn't really agree. You had, I think, leftover federalists and you might have had. Gosh, what were they called? No nothings or something? Anyway, there was a group of people that got together and were like, oh, we're going to be Republicans. Mm-hmm. So the the idea is we, we might always be stuck with two parties because the easiest way to win is to get the most people behind you. But the parties, I think, will change. So, you know, do I like the parties? No. Do I think we're ever going to get rid of them? No. Do I ever think we're going to end up like England where would they have like seven parties? I don't think that's going to happen either. I think we'll always be stuck with a two-party system in America, unfortunately. But yeah. I do think the parties are changing, and um, and we could talk about that. Uh, you know where where these parties might go. Um, but before I get into that, and I don't want to talk through your whole show. Did I answer your question? Do you want to
0: interject? <laughs> yeah, I'll interject. Yeah, you answered my question, and yeah. So I don't have the exact quote from from Washington. You know, going back to yeah. during his his time as president. But yeah, like you yeah. like you mentioned, he he warned against the two party system in in the detriment that it would that it would be to. To yeah. America, um, and then you gave like a great little brief brief history there about kind of how the parties have changed over time, and then like a third one will pop up and they'll kind of morph and you know. And now since basically, I think for the last like about 150 years or so, it's just been like Republican Democrat have been the two the two primary parties. England is you know like you just mentioned is an example. Of, they have like seven or ten, I think. I think Japan has around four or five. So there are other countries that seem to be working just fine um but for me one of the things i guess that i think about with with the two-party system is within each party you have subgroups right or like cohorts within each party so you have the republican party and you have just let's just say republican and then within the republican party you have conservatives right that's a that's like a little niche group and then on the democrats you have um well it's lack of a better term but you have your moderates then you have your liberals and we're like sliding to the left here on the, if you're visualizing it right on the, on the, on the, um, the graphic. So like in your head and as you get farther and farther left, you go liberal and then you go progressive and then somewhere tossed in there is also the Democrat socialist, right? So like Bernie Sanders and AOC and all these people. So to me, it seems like kind of built within the Republican and Democrat party. Now there is, uh, You could split it off, but one question I have that I don't have an answer for, and maybe you do, would be kind of would be the consequences of going to more than two. Yeah, there's the green, independent, libertarian, all that stuff, but when it comes to the the electoral college, like right now, it's winner take all by the state. So, would we then need to alter the Electoral College if we allowed there to be like a third or a fourth or a fifth major party within the US?
1: Well, okay, there's a lot to discuss. And first of all, uh, we you, were nice. yeah, <laughs> you were very nice. Yeah, you were very nice to um, make a distinction between um, moderates and uh, liberal progressive and democratic socialists. I'm not sure a lot of people see <laughs> that much, uh, um, at least the way they vote and the way they, they've uh, represented their, their uh, constituents. You yeah, don't see I much try, daylight. I try, to between... talk, I try to talk with
0: yeah. new, like there's, I know there's nuance to a lot of things and one of yeah, the things you're trying to have discussions with people, especially if you're trying to change someone's mind or understand them, is yeah, if you're just going to throw everyone into one bag and call them right. just like a sweeping and generalize everything or yeah. whatever, you're going to lose them, right? They're going to just like put their wall up from the get-go so yeah trying to be a little more i guess yeah
1: no you're right the interesting thing is and i'm not going to get on this tangent for too long but the interesting thing is i think in the republican party you do have a lot more fracture you know you have and i've mentioned this before on on um, the buff show and i think we might have discussed it in the studio um you have this this money many many factions and i definitely want to talk about this because it's very interesting but you know you have these new type of conservatives, these Trump conservatives, um, America First Conservatives. You have kind of traditional Republicans, the Mitch McConnell type, you know, country club type Republicans. You also have, you know, your There's populists, uh, I think,
0: tossed in there somewhere.
1: Well, th- I think that, that word is, I think, made up by the media. And that was like that was the gateway drug for white nationalists. They're like, let's call them populists first, and then let's call them nationalists, and then just call them white nationalists and make them all racist. But I think um, but what's interesting is if you go to any like Republican club or a meeting or anything, mm-hmm. man, you'll have one side of the room yelling at the other side, calling that side rhinos, that side of the rooms calling the other side rhinos. They, yeah. There is so much infighting between grassroots type groups, very pro-Trump groups. Um, and then there's Republicans that don't like Trump. And all of them are, there's a lot of fighting going on. The Republican Party right now is going through a bit of a metamorphosis. And, and I want to talk about that in a minute, because I do think it's relevant to, to the topic of mm-hmm. where are these parties going? The interesting thing about the democrat party and this is why the the non-party affiliate group is growing by so much um because in on the democrat side and like i mentioned there doesn't seem to be any fracture sure i've met democrats that identify as moderate Mm. um but they don't vote that way they 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 will all vote in lockstep with nancy pelosi's agenda so the the question is are, is there really that scope in the party? And is there an opportunity for that infighting? My prediction personally is I think the Democratic Party be, has become so beholden to the radical beliefs of the far left that if the moderate Democrats in the party try to deviate from – we've already seen it with AOC threatening the primary people. If mm-hmm. the moderate Democrats threaten or the, don't go lockstep with, with the liberal ideology, um, they won't have a home in that party. They will be kicked out. I mean, if right. you think Republicans are mean to rhinos, uh, Democrats are a lot meaner to non-loyal Democrats. I have seen in local elections, I have seen the Democratic Party completely just cut off any Democrat that doesn't support their mainstream beliefs. Um, Republicans aren't quite that that vindictive yet. Um, and I say yet because that's yeah. something I want to talk about
0: in a minute. I've, I've, but, I've, I've heard a lot yeah. of – well, I've heard some Republican – Republican or conservative pundits start to start to get there when it comes with voting on certain things, but, but yeah, not to give AOC any more, any more publicity than she already gets. But yeah, she's, she's on record, you know, for saying, I mean, like, it's time for us to revisit these like moderate Democrats and see if they actually have a place in the party. And I think she was specifically um, referring to something. I don't, I don't remember if it was, um, I forget the topic at hand. It might've been abortion or something like that, but she was like, yeah, we need to revisit and see if these people deserve to be within our party.
1: Yeah. You want to see my impression of AOC? (laughs) Look, I'm arrested. (laughs) I'm I'm arrested. With with a power (laughs) fist,
0: right? With the power fist. Yeah.
1: uh, Look, I'm I'm arrested. (laughs) Um, The deal is this. um, And that's, and that's my point. I I think the democratic party doesn't really have that scope. And I don't want to get on this tangent for too long, but it's relevant. Um, I don't think there is a lot of room in the Democratic Party for um, challenging their their thought process or their beliefs. If you ever had a conversation – and look, I can, I'm i a Republican, just for the record. Um, I consider myself moderate on certain issues, conservative on other issues. Mm-hmm. But I, I generally try to keep an open mind, and I try to see things on both sides. And I've had productive discussions with Democrats, and I have some very good friends that are Democrats. I've had very unproductive discussions with liberals, and I'm not sure I have many friends that are liberals, and that's not my choice. And, um, you know, and actually I was researching this for my segment on the Buff Show that that just happened. And I was looking for this video pops up. I look at crazy videos. And so a video popped up of somebody. They were talking about whether or not they had conservative or Republican friends. And all, and all these liberals were like, no, I can never be friends with a Republican. Just a total intolerance if anybody right. disagrees. And, and I'll tell you a quick story. We're evil. I, uh, <laughs> we're evil. And, and one time I ran for office, uh, I had a discussion with somebody. And they go, well, I just have to know. Um, and this is a nonpartisan race. And they're like, oh, do you support Trump? And I said, well, look, because we're having a great conversation. We're talking about local issues. We're talking about, edu- you know, we're talking about all kinds of things. We're great education. We're talking about taxes. We're talking about traffic. I mean, we were agreeing on everything. We're having a great conversation. She goes, But I have mm-hmm. to ask, w- w- do you support Trump? And I'm like, look, before I answer that question, I just want to pre- uh, you know, preface it with we were just having a great conversation, agreeing with each other, seeing eye to eye on things do we really wanna insert national politics into local politics and, um, and, and possibly destroy the relationship that we're forming here and, right. and agreeing on each other? And I, I just have to know, she goes, okay, fine, I'll tell you, yes, I support Trump. See, that's it, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry, there's nothing, I can't support you, I can't agree with you. And it's mm-hmm. like, and this is what I'm talking about, a total intolerance for points of views that challenge theirs. And this is by design, I believe, but that being said in the democratic party there is not a room for a moderate democrat to be like hey i disagree with you they will be kicked out there is no room for there is no tolerance now the yeah. interesting thing is the and i'm going to talk about the electoral, electoral college i'm even making a note here so i don't forget it
0: uh, but but preview <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's important right it's part of the fall, part of the yeah. fallout so
1: yeah but preview we term. never tu- we will not touch the electoral college and for very good reasons And we'll get there in a minute but on the right and, and I, I was going to write about this and I don't know if I, if you know, but um, you saw in my card writer, um, the way I got involved in the buff show is I started writing articles and just things mm-hmm. I would sit around, i think about things and I was just like, let me write this down. And I was like, and when I met Matt buff, I was like, Hey, can I just put these on your website? He's like, sure. And then we went on the show and we would talk about it. So one of the things I was going to write about, and and this was um, what is it? It was in preparation for going to CPAC. And the idea was what is a conservative in 2022? Because, you know, and this actually goes into something else that I prepared and I did research on that I, I do want to talk about. So I'm trying not to be tangential, but I'm trying to also, <laughs> you know, facilitate an interesting discussion.
0: Yeah, um, p- the people will enjoy it. It seems to be yeah. what people enjoy. So let's go.
1: I'm <laughs> tangential. <laughs> I'm all over the place, right? <laughs> um, like TikTok. <laughs> like swipe and then it's a whole new topic. <laughs> but, it's um, all, it's,
0: but you're just you're just taking a long you're just you're just painting take painting the scene and Law it's all and gonna brush, come together it's it's a all happy come little together. cloud
1: a happy little tree you know eventually you'll see like oh that's a waterfall I see it you, right. you know Bob Ross probably right remember him? yeah rip.
0: I know Bob Ross yeah. yeah
1: yeah so um but yeah so when looking into the history of uh, or I'm sorry where what it means to be a conservative in 2022 I then look back at the history of conservatism I'm like well what did it mean to be a conservative in 1776 and that got me down a rabbit hole that was a fascinating rabbit hole and I even went further down the rabbit hole tonight in preparation for this um, podcast but the but the thing is um, if you go back to our origin conservatism isn't an American concept conservatism goes back hundreds of years mm-hmm. and uh, hundreds of years before the United States and you go down to to thinkers like um, oh God, uh, uh, whats Edmund Burke you, you've heard of Edmund Burke they consider him like the father of conservatism. And then yeah. the father of conservatism in the United States is John Adams, because he, he was the guy who was like, these are the conservative principles. Then, then you move forward, you had, you know, the old conservative party that were kind of boring, nobody cared. And then Reagan came along and reinvigorated the, 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 Repub- uh, the conservative movement. And then, you know, from Reagan, we had sort of uh, almost like, um, what is it called? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget it, but they're, they're almost the, the religious right start to insert itself into conservatism. Oh, that e- became e- the thing. You
0: know, George Bush. Evan- yeah, the uh, evangelical uh, group? Evangelical, evangelical, yes, but
1: there, there's a word, it starts with an R that I can't think of, uh, a revivalist, a, revival, a revivalist movement. Um, and that led into the Bush years. And then, you know, conservatism kind of became republicanism and mm-hmm. conservatism kind of started fading away. And then Trump came, And exploded a whole new type of conservatism. And now here we are now, you know, America first, peace peace through strength, low taxes, low regulation, um, you know, uh, natural law versus government rule. I mean, these are conservative principles. uh, Trump was the most conservative president we've had since Reagan and before him's Adams. I mean, we, we, and, and you have all these people who've come to the Republican Party. And now the Republican Party, is the political party we're talking about. Conservatives have always had a home in the Republican Party, but conservatism isn't a party in and of itself. It's an idea. So where the Democrats are home to the liberals and liberalism, the Republican Party is home to conservatism. But the interesting part is where liberalism is hijacking the Democrat Party, conservatism isn't necessarily taking over the Republican Party. We still have factions. And the conservative faction was definitely um, co-opted um, by Donald Trump's messaging, and and he, and that conservatism brought more people to our party than we've mm-hmm. had in years, all sorts of ethnicities and backgrounds, and, and everybody came from everywhere because they like the idea of conservatism. Like he said, a rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody does well when the economy is doing well. Reagan had the same principle. Reagan's principle was we don't move the tent to to incorporate people who are kind of in the middle. We yeah. lead through strength, and we invite people into our tent. And we lead through conservative values. Conservative values have always proven to be more successful than the alternative. The mm-hmm. interesting thing is the way Trump branded conservatism. And that gets back to what I was saying before is that we now we have this new Republican Party. And you have these old school Republicans that are not very conservative. You have these new conservative Republicans that might be the evangelical Christian conservatives. Trump really wasn't one of those. Yeah. And then you have this real sort of conservative conservative, which was Donald Trump. And it, it, it's really causing some, some uh, I guess, growing pains in the Republican party of us trying to figure out who we are. The most interesting part of it is this idea of America first. Mm-hmm. Trump's idea of America first was this strong sense of nationalism. You talk about populism and, and nationalism. Um, but that idea was that we need to start putting our own people first over the interest of others. It wasn't a radical idea. It wasn't even a selfish one. It was, we need to take care of ourselves before we take care of other people. Just like if you're in an airplane and you put on and you, and you lose pressure, put on right. your own mask before you admit it. You know, everybody pay attention. Nobody pays attention to those safety briefings, but if you did, you yeah. would hear that you put on your own mask before you put in helping other people. And right. that's the same thing with America. We have our own problems and we need to be focusing on our problems before we go and try to bail other people out of their problems. We are not effective in helping other people unless we help ourselves. That's not a radical idea, but this idea of America at first now is being co-opted by our radical right. We have our AOCs too, and yeah. our AOCs are emulating this version of the of Trump that was created by the media. They paint Trump as being this guy who's just you know so they made, they painted a,
0: Trump to be like a, yeah. a wolf, but really he was a he's. If you look at go back and look at his policies, and you might agree with this, um, he was more like a a sheep in wolf's clothing because he was so brash. That's right. But right. when you look but at he, what he but, actually yeah. did, it was you know it, it, there was nothing crazy. You know he is He was just he was he was a sheep in wolf's clothing, but he but the the media, um, you know, the Democrat Party obviously and everything else, they they wanted to paint him. So like right, going back to our painting and everything, they they wanted to paint him to be this this evil person when really he was just trying to bring America back to what it you know, closer to what it was founded upon, um and everything else, which is part of conservatism, right?
1: Right. Well, and, 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 I'll, and I'll tell a quick joke that Larry Elder told. And so mm-hmm. I'll give him total credit for this. I heard it once and I, it's always, I've always remembered it. And it was Donald Trump went on a fishing trip um, with a bunch of reporters. And during the fishing trip, one of the reporters fell overboard and nobody was going to save him. So Donald Trump was like, I'll save him. So he takes his coat off, takes his shoes off, whatever, and then he walks across water, picks him up. Out of the water, walks across water back, puts him back on the boat, saves this guy's life. Everybody's cheering. And the next day, the, the headline on New York Times was Trump can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but that's the truth. There was not yeah. a single thing Trump can do that he got ever got credit for. It was always, uh, you know, he can go literally while he was president. We had more world peace than we've had in decades. We had North Korea this close to do abandoning nuclear ambitions. They stopped mm-hmm. firing missiles. We were actually holding Iran accountable and going backwards as far as their enrichment of uranium. We had historic peace in the Middle East. Russia was on their heels. China was on their heels. The world was safer. Israel, was, we were able to move our embassy to Jerusalem. Israel was sa- Israel safer.
0: Yeah, the Abraham conservatism, Accords, right?
1: Conservatism made America safe. Trump mm-hmm. made America safe. And it, and he you, you didn't get any of the credit for it. And I mean, if you look at the inverse of that, look where we are now. I mean, I'm not to I don't want to get into Biden's failures. That's a whole other podcast. But I mean, the world is much less safe. Your de- bank account. I dedicated.
0: Is a- a, I dedicated a couple episodes going back to um, late last year, and definitely around the whole Afghanistan withdrawal. Just dedicated yeah. to the Biden administration and their failure. So Uh, uh, it's
1: only getting worse.
0: That's somewhere around like episode 18 or 20 or somewhere around there. So it's, uh, yeah, I I dedicated some time to just talking about those, but I'm going to let you you finish
1: 36.
0: (laughs) I'm going to let you finish your thought, but then I do want to, uh, Jen style and circle back to something you mentioned uh, for for my next question. All
1: right. We can circle back. So anyway, but yeah, so finishing my point is, um, so the way Trump led and how he helped so many people and inspired so many people, he he opened our tent up to so many more people and not by moving the tent. But then media, the media creates this version of Donald Trump. That's just bad guy. You know, he, no, nothing he did. He should ever get credit for. He's a criminal and all these things. I mean, literally have Hunter Biden and his laptop. And but, you know, we're, we're writing Mar-a-Lago not to get into that. But, you know, what I'm saying is and now you have all of these radical Republicans emulating Mm -hmm. this version of Trump that was created by the media. That's not Trump at all. Trump defended himself when needed to. He didn't back down from a challenge, but he didn't Mm -hmm. walk into a room trying to make a deal by insulting people and saying, I'm not going to work with you. He wrote a book about making a deal and it didn't start with, I'm never going to work with you. We have nowhere to go. And now you have so many, even a lot of Republicans, some Republicans that are like, I'm I'm a Trump Republican and screw everybody. I'm going to, Impeach these people and fight these people and I'm gonna do all these terrible things and I'm gonna be the AOC of the right.
0: Yeah. Nobody
1: wants that. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. That's not good for the country. It's not good for the party. And you talk about a party system. If if our parties are only as strong as our radicals in control of them, then there is no hope because then we're destined to head to some sort of war. Mm-hmm. But so so that being said, uh let me circle back. Uh <laughs> gosh, Jim Sackney, I hope she's doing okay. <laughs> Uh, to the, you know what? I never thought I'd miss her. (laughs) Her replacement is so much worse, but anyhow. Um, but going back to electoral college, you talk about if we had multiple parties, if that would somehow have a, I don't think one had anything to do with the other. I don't think the electoral college would be impacted at all. Um, if we had more than one party, I mean, the states constitution allows the states to decide how they're going to, um, choose their electors. And so different states have different ways of doing it. Some is winner take all, but some apportion their votes like Maine. And, and some other states. So states can do whatever they want with respect to their electoral votes, but the electoral college can't be disturbed because the electoral college keeps three states from running the whole country. It was a compromise, right. a brilliant compromise struck early on. It was like, hey, how is New Hampshire going to have a voice with New York? And the idea was, okay, well, we're going to give you votes that are, you know, proportionate to your population, not necessarily, you know, y- not, not as few as you should have. But we're going to give you enough that your vote counts. And that's why people still go to New Hampshire and Iowa. If it wasn't for the Electoral College, they would fly from New York to California to Texas to Florida and then maybe one or two other states. And that's where all the elections would be held. And you wouldn't have a voice. And you got to go back to our history. We're a a union of states. And um, I talked about this with uh, Corey Mills on that show on Wednesday about states' rights and the Tenth Amendment and the Civil War and how it destroyed states' rights forever. But um, we're a union of states. And we had to agree to, to join together in this union. And the only way we were going to do that is we didn't want to take away the power and the sovereignty of our individual States. And the electoral college is a key element of that. It's saying, Hey, we'll join this union, but our vote still has to matter. So if we were ever to disturb that, I I think it would do, it would be catastrophic for um, the health of the union. But then again, you can go back to the civil war and, and, and something I mentioned when I was hosting the buff show. And that's, um, After the Civil War, it answered the question of, is it a voluntary union anymore? And that's a really interesting thing. And again, I'm I'm sorry to go on these tangents, but (laughs) it's so fascinating because South Carolina said, hey, I don't want to be part of America anymore. And America said, you don't have a choice. Well, what do you mean I don't have a choice? No, no, you don't have a choice. And if you want to leave, we're going to go to war. And then the the, the rest of the states were like, "Uh, well, we're with South Carolina. And they're like, okay, cool. And the deadliest conflict that killed more Americans than any war combined mm-hmm. um, was the result. So if you think we're still a union of states, try to leave the union. So um, yeah. maybe screw the Electoral College then, right? I mean, <laughs> so I, so you have to wonder, you know, like in my mind, you talk about the Electoral College and I, I give you the reasons why we need to preserve it. But then you kind of look in post-Civil War. Do we really have 50 individual states? And DeSantis is pushing hard on that. And and I don't know if you saw, but there's going to be a new license plate, a don't tread on me themed license plate that um, we're going to have in Florida. (laughs) It's causing all this controversy. Or it's going to have a, Uh, I think, yeah, the Gadsden flag. And they're saying that uh, it's racist. And um, of course it is. Anything patriotic is racist.
0: Well, and, now that, mean, uh, that means every Floridian yeah. who gets it is going to be on the FBI and domestic terrorist uh, list. So
1: you never know; you could be rated, and then three days after you are rated, they'll have a press conference explaining why you were rated, but you won't know then.
0: <laughs> yeah. Talk <laughs> but, about um, making talk about making it easy to find you, right? You just got just go to yeah. whoever got the the plate for the state, right? <laughs>
1: Home address, or right or there. have a yeah, or mm-hmm. have a gun registered, or any of the other, th- or or opt your kid out of masking in school. There's a yeah. lot of ways you can get on their radar, but um, but anyway, but yeah, so in a nutshell, the electoral college, you know, maybe it is an artifact of our founding, but now I want to, before you get to your next question, it, it reminded me of something that I definitely wanted to discuss. And and this goes back to, um, we talked, I, I talked about Edmund Burke. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever, it's hard to read because it's written in like 1700 language and he's, you know, it's, it's, it's satire, but um, it what was interesting was if you, if you've heard of a, uh, it's the vindication of natural society. let's educate people if you don't know i'll educate um so the idea and this is what conservatism is born out of it's out of the idea that you know and it's in our declaration of independence uh you know that our rights are endowed by our creator um and so these inalienable rights come from god not man and that's Mm -hmm. a, a conservative principle and the idea is that um if people had these these natural – in a natural society, you didn't need people. You didn't need governments. It, it, society, people – natural society would take care of itself. And, right. it, and, and, the, and, the, and the, there's arguments against that. They're like it's pure chaos. It's anarchy. And, and Burke would argue that it's actually the opposite. And he goes and chronicles all of world history and shows how the different forms of government are actually more deadly and, and more c- c- uh, consequential and yeah. he talks about inevitably, it's all a form of despotism. And, well,
0: I'm going to need to read that book because I'm I'm on yeah. I'm more so I'm more so leaning towards the argument of we would have complete anarchy, right? If 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 we were just yeah. trying to trust people to be responsible, <laughs>
1: but, but and that's what's interesting. So and that's what it is. So he in that in the um, vindication of natural society, he's writing a letter, and he's argue he's arguing in almost a satirical way against that same argument like well why wouldn't we and then and like i said he goes through it but the interesting part about all of it is i think he's um, big
0: in the in the libertarian circles
1: under libertarianism is is classical liberalism which is fundamentally uh, original conservatism and and so these i the idea that um tyranny exists in every form of government whether it's it's in a monarchy whether it's in a religious institution whether it's in a democracy and as a matter of fact he talks about democracy being the worst form of tyranny because it now it it gives people and this goes into the political parties it gives people the power um based on convincing people and charming them and and that pursuit of power is why our political parties exist and why and why it's so corrupt and and circling back and, and the reason why i'm mentioning this is because Our Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, we've talked about it being so unique. Everybody talks about why it's so special. It survived all these years. Mm -hmm. Our founding fathers were some of the most well-read, educated people. I mean, you talk about Jefferson's library. The only thing that kept him from being homeless, essentially, was the value of his library that he he got overpaid for. You know about this, right? Jefferson was broke. And so as a Mm -hmm. favor, they bought his – oh, so yeah, Jefferson was broke. And so as a favor, they bought his library for him. From oh, him, wow. and they gave him way more money than he deserved. He had debts and gambling debt, and all kinds of—I don't know what the debts were from—but he had tons of debt, so he had no money. And so, the Library of Congress was basically Jefferson's books, and uh, they're still there um, if you ever go to Washington D.C. And he was overpaid for them, so he wouldn't be broke. But anyhow, okay. <laughs> all these all these people—they uh, read a lot. They understood things. They read things like Burke and Hobbes, and and and, and you know you, you had all these people who wrote. You know, Thomas Paine. Everybody remembers Common Sense, and you know you have all these people who thought a lot. The Federalist Papers are a great example. of People who just thought about things, and because they didn't have TikTok, so they weren't just scrolling past <laughs> pictures of you know whatever. They yeah. had to actually think by a candlelight because everybody was sleeping. So
0: right, they thought. yeah, they yeah, and once the lights were turned off,
1: <laughs> yeah, either go to, to sleep something. or sit there
0: and think, yeah.
1: Right. So they thought a lot, and they also read a lot of classical texts, and they learned from other societies and other governments. And when they wrote the Constitution, when the Constitution was put together, it was a document to protect the people from the government. It wasn't mm-hmm. to give the government rights. It was to protect the people from the government because, again, of people like uh, Burke who pointed out, conservatives who pointed out that, hey, democracy can be tyranny as well. Knowing this, our founding fathers were like, well, let's write a document that protects us from the government that we're creating because of the risk that the government poses. And that's what's so significant about our Constitution. And if you look at it even today, it survived all these years. It still protects us from government. It protects us from what the liberals want to do um, to our country. Mm-hmm. So um, – but yeah, getting back to I, – I guess the point of all of this is if you look at the at – the, things like electoral college and all these things that were put into our original constitution, it was to protect us from being becoming a tyrannical society overrun by government. Um, and that's, and that's to protect us from the political parties as well. I mean, you talk about, you know, with was, was Washington claim about the unjust dominion that people would rise to if they formed these political parties and they would usurp, um, the, the, the reins of government that brought them to the unjust dominion. Um, And that's what you see in these political parties. They use whatever they have to do. And we talked about the AOC and then the Republican version of AOC is doing whatever they have to do to gain to that level of power. Because once you have that power, you can rule a country. And, um, but anyway, so what was your question?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that I get to play host again, um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I guess I have, I, I guess two follow-ups or two, like two questions next in our conversation. Um, one of which is when I was, you know, doing some reading in preparation for this episode, I did, you know, come across the the argument against a con to um, keeping the two party the two party system or the two, you know, major parties as we have today is that, and you mentioned it whenever you're when you brought up Reagan and how Reagan was inviting people into the tent and not expanding the tent, and I do remember going back to the 2020 election. Um, and I, th- I think it was like just the yeah it was the build up to the, the RNC, you know the the co- the convention and everything else and all the talk it seems like on the from the Republican pundits were on the pundits on the right were. Like we need to grow the tent like it's ripe for the picking you know we can pick off these Democrats and everything else and you know like the more moderate Democrats and we need to we need to broaden the tent and so on and so forth, but then in, again in preparation for this episode I was. You know the argument against the two parties is that you, instead of inviting people into the tent and you were just talking about it, you get people who are hungry for, for power, and what they'll do is they will expand their tent, and then that is um, compromising the principles, of the the original principles of the party, or you know like a subgroup of, the party. So, let's say we were to, to evolve from this, uh, primarily two-party system and you know keep all the other smaller parties that exist today you know the independence libertarians green party there's another one out there i can't remember the name but let's say you know we keep those and then we then we add others like you know maybe conservative there's a conservative party right there's a liberal party there's a progressive party and and so on and so forth taking that then to the the electoral college the electoral college remains intact which i believe it's it is beautifully designed right you know it has equal representation and so on and and, you know it's a form of protection how how then do we change our i guess our electorals our elect our elect not electoral that's not the right term but i guess our election system so that these smaller parties are then on the same playing field Like a level playing field, as the what we have now, which is you know the the multi-billion-dollar and multi-republican and democrat party. How do we how do we put everyone I guess on equal footing if that's even the the right next step? But how is how would that be accomplished? Because right now, you know, money is going to dominate fundraising and messaging and and everything else. And it's I would feel like it was just going to remain the same as it as it is today if there's not a level playing field. What your, question, that
1: your, like? que- your questions are, are so good. There's a lot to talk about in your questions, <laughs> but um, so I don't think. Again, states have the rights to run their elections anyway in any way they see fit. If they want to make it easier um, for third parties to um, to to get on somewhat equal footing, I mean, who knows? If you have a minor party that's not one of the major parties, maybe you make a ballot qualification easier. Um, you know, there's things you can do. I mean, instead of getting having to pay ten thousand dollars to be on the ballot maybe if you're from a minor party you only have to get a lesser number of petitions. I don't know I mean you have to sur- um, survive you know challenges in the courts about fairness and things like that but you know states have to look at ways to if, if you want to take that approach of how do we encourage people to um, to to get power from other parties I'm sure there's sta- there's some creative ways states can get involved in doing that but I don't think um, you know we've tried campaign finance reforms we've tried, ways to be like oh let's make it an equal playing field but the misconception is money equals votes and um, you saw this in the 2016 election hillary clinton outraised trump by i don't even know how much she raised over a billion dollars
0: yeah didn't she and, i think she reached uh, up to around 2 billion and he was like maybe yeah, 500 million or something like that he, which I think it was 800 was
1: million or something yeah but the idea is money does not win elections people think mm-hmm. it does and i can tell you in the consulting world I can do just as much as a candidate with three times as much money. I just find ways to do it cheaper. (laughs) I mean, you got to think if you have more money and I can tell you, this is how it works. If a candidate has a ton of money to hire a political consulting firm, they pay twice as much for signs. They pay twice as much for mail because there's markups built in and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you have a lot of money, you'll spend more money. If you have less money, you'll spend less money. It's the way government should actually run. Um, But the the idea is money will not necessarily determine an election. First of all, Um, if you have the right message and you got to look at what is a political party to begin with, what is a political party, but a group of people that have that agree with one another on certain fundamental things on how they want to be governed. And then they get together because they all agree. You know, if you like starburst candies and you're really passionate about it being in the in the jar on the receptionist's desk. And you have a group of people that won M&M's, you know, your best odds of getting the Starburst in the candy jar on the receptionist desk is to get people on your side. Right. And, and that's how political parties work. You get enough people who believe in the same thing and that belief and that unity can lead to power. And, um, you know, I think our political parties stand for too damn much, to be honest with you. And I, and I think that is the opportunity that these alternative parties have, the fractures of the Republican Party. Um, and I do want to get back to what you mentioned about moving the tent. Um, but the fraction, the democratic party, I do believe is due for a fracture. And I think, um, after, um, Biden's, um, historically unpopular, uh, presidency, I do see if we have fair elections, I do think, um, the results of, of elections will encourage the more moderate Democrats to be like, Hey, enough is enough. We're taking this party in a different
0: direction. Do you think it's going to split at the line of the progressive Democrats?
1: I and here's the other interesting thing: if you study history, every time our parties have sort of turned into a new party, there's Mm -hmm. always been some sort of war. (laughs) So whether it be like uh, (laughs) a lot of people think,
0: one a lot of people think one is coming. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's always been either a war or a threat of war. Honestly, like we almost went to war with France back in gosh, I don't
0: even remember. It might've
1: been the late 1700s, but um, some some guy came over and started a bunch of problems. And out of that potential of going to war, new mm-hmm. political parties were formed after, you know, every time we have like major battles or major conflicts, it's it's weird how people start to reevaluate what they viewed as being important and, um, or some significant issue like abolition of slavery, obviously. Yeah, And that led to a lot of election fraud that led to a lot of um, party issues. I mean, and then you, like I said, it, it split the Democrat party. Um, it formed a whole new Republican party based on the cast off Democrats because they were so upset. So I do think that socialism is going to be the thing that divides the Democratic party beyond repair. But I also think, um, and I'm going to say this, and I love Trump and I don't, and it's not going to be his fault. Uh, Trumpism might be the thing that just dis- that breaks up the Republican party. And again, it's not because trumpism is trump again yeah. that's the version of trump that was created <laughs> for trump not right. the version of trump was a conservative and the people who try to emulate trump this whole trumpism type stuff that's not trump but it's creating a movement in and of itself and mm-hmm. i do believe that's causing a fracture in the republican party and um you know i do foresee the possibility and and i and i do know this historically when a new party is formed that party you you have a couple of years where there's a lot of national unity. We had an age of good feelings when there was only one political party. Um, I think it was when Andrew Jackson
0: was president. But yeah, yeah so, that's right. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it lasted like six years or something. two or,
1: th- no, it was like two or three years. <laughs> two or three because years. Then was, okay. Because then I think John Quincy Adams came and caused a bunch of problems. But um, but the idea is, you know, political parties do reshape and reform, and I do believe we're due for a, a political party shakeup and whether it be, you know, this, I mean, we have a huge chunk of independents. And if you're a yeah, voter... Yeah, it's almost you, like,
0: it's almost divided into thirds now, I think, last yeah, well, then like that's the last that I looked at.
1: That's 100% true. Actually, yeah, the, the independents are becoming a larger group, but they're not a party because when I say independents, the non-party affiliates, not necessarily right. independent party, but the non-party affiliates, people are like, I'm a politically active person. I want to be engaged in politics, but I don't want anything to do with these two parties. That group mm-hmm. is growing big. There has to be something that that group agrees upon, and it might be, you know, abortion up to a certain point, gun control up to a certain point, um, taxes up to a certain point, yeah. you know, states' rights up to a certain point. I'm sure that most NPAs are probably your moderates from both parties, and that group is growing, and the moderates that are stuck in the Republican and the Democrat party might just come together and lead those NPAs out of the desert. And <laughs> you might have um, a huge group, a new, very powerful political party form. Who knows what the name is going to be? And then you'll have two minor parties that are more radical. You know, you have your Socialist Party, and then whatever you know uh, the, the far right of the Republican Party becomes. The, the thing I want to be careful about is by saying far right of the Republican Party, a lot of times people assume conservatism with being far right, right. as I've already discussed conservatism isn't necessarily far right it's just under this it's a it's a different approach to things i don't think anybody would i mean they would say it but it's not fair reagan wasn't far right he wasn't a right-wing extremist some people say some people call neocon the but what he was is a practical person who led to real conservative values and tremendous tremendous success for our country as a result same thing with trump Mm -hmm. despite investigations and impeachments and everything else he had to our country did better than we've done. Do you remember Obama's like, we're just never going to get back there again? You know, yeah. we're never going to be, there. GDP will never be back there. None of this will, we'll never produce that much oil. Gas will never be cheap again. Trump showed us in, in, in months, how quickly you can take, and Biden showed us in months, how quickly you can take a country and flush it down the damn toilet. We see it mm-hmm. happen in Venezuela and every other country where socialism has been tried. Socialism is despotism. It's not, it's tyranny. but, it's powerful because once you get people to follow you and there's teachings on this and they literally follow the playbook, the Solinsky's rules for radicals, they follow it to a T. Yeah. They follow these socialist teachings and they do it very well. Um, so, and then and want to real quick, I should point out that our American revolution was fought by 2% of the population at the time in the United States. It doesn't take a big group of people to cause a revolution in a country and it doesn't take a big group of people to actually win. So just because yeah, I, think we've seen a, I
0: think we've seen numerous demonstrations that um, yeah. when it comes to like a, a small group of people having a lot of a lot of influence instead, not don't want to use the term power, but influence. Yeah. Whenever you look at all these different examples where people are caving to, you know, like maybe 5% of people in a workplace and then all of a sudden workplace policies are changed or, um, yeah. you know, corporations start sounding off about some type of uh political issue or something just because they don't want to be the ones to be, they don't want to be chastised by some small little faction of of americans and everything else so it's it's like a squeaky wheel gets the grease but to like That's it. In, in a worse degree a worse degree but um, i mean but
1: did you, you think about it like even like the Bo- like in boston it was really a group of terrorists in boston and i love our founding fathers i'm not trashing their reputations uh, but it was a group of terrorists in Boston who were pissed off about certain things, whether it be seizures of their boats or because they were trying to avoid taxes. Um, there was a small group of people who caused problems, the Sons of Liberty, and they went around and wreaked havoc around Boston. And it pissed off England so much uh, that they started punishing all of the colonies, which mm-hmm. inevitably led to support for the Declaration of Independence with New York abstaining. but it's incredible how just a small group of people can stir up enough um, uh, enough you know problems that you can inevitably lead to a much bigger problem in the reaction of the small problem and then that's what we got to be careful about um, you know even though we do have small pa- factions of political parties we can form this brand new third party that's much bigger these small little factions can still destroy the country so that's why and, and, you know that's why it's important that We don't let our partisan politics take away um, that which unites us all as Americans. And unfortunately, that which unites us all as Americans is a threat to one of our political parties. And um, so you see a a concerted effort in destroying that which unites us in order to gain their ultimate goal, which is socialism and the Constitution, Mm -hmm. which I already said protects us from that socialism because socialism requires government to have more powers than our founding fathers ever wanted to give it. So first step, destroy the founding father's reputation. Second step, destroy the constitution. Third step, take over America. And that's what we're up against. Um, So really, it's not even a political party situation anymore. What we're talking about is an an entire group of seeking uh, democratic power, not republic power.
0: So Uh, I want to pick up on something you just mentioned. And I I think... And I think this is going to be one of the last, maybe this is going to be like the second to last question I ask you before, before we wrap it up. Um, sure. The way our, the way our party system is now and the power that comes from like within our legislative branch and even the executive branch, um, between, you know, if you have Republican majority or Democrat, Democrat party majority in, in one or both houses of Congress, and then especially if you have, you know, the same party represented in the white house, you have like ultimate power, right? You know, you check all three boxes. So when it comes to election time, we're coming up, you know, in midterm elections here in November of this year. And the Republican party is like drooling, <laughs> you know, like foaming at the mouth at the, at this opportunity to get control of at least the house and potentially the Senate, even then that's a little bit tougher. What do you, what is, what is your view, not your viewpoint, but. The group in the middle, like you're saying, you know, maybe we get this, this third party that is created from the moderates of the Republican and Democrats. They find something or a couple of things they can agree upon and they create their own party. Heading into election seasons when power is on the ballot, in my opinion, what do you say to people who want to hold true to their principles and values and want to vote for a third party? Do you think that's wise in today's political I guess, our political system, the structure of our political system and our political environment?
1: I mean, you talk about principle. and um, But I want to to say something real quick. The, even if you win the White House, um, the House of Representatives and the Senate, you still don't win the Supreme Court. And that was set up like that on purpose. That's why we have three branches of government. The Supreme Court is our arbiter of our Constitution, which yeah, is well, why the Democrats...
0: That's even... That's even a, well, under threat, and as we've seen, at least especially with this in this current administration, under, is yes. they'll, they'll even say, "I don't even know if this is legal, but we're going to do it." And then you know, um we'll just wait for the Supreme Court and the legal system to to catch up to what we've done, as we saw going into the pandemic and trying to force corporation companies with more than 100 employees to require vaccinations for their employees. And all these companies are fearful, you know, their legal teams. It seems like like, oh, well, you know, we got to comply with this. We don't want to go through, you know. Lawsuits and so on and so forth. So let's just go ahead and require this, and then all then later on down the road, Supreme Court says, yeah, that's you know, you know, that's not constitutional the way you went about that. So, but then I mean, look at the look at everything that happened just in in preparation, you know, for for that, or I guess while waiting for that ruling to be to be handed down. So, I know there's that third branch to kind of you know to keep the other two in in, in check, but I would say even our judicial branch is, is is being threatened or is well already there i would say but but yeah back to the third party do you think it's wise to vote third party with um with the power that's on the on the table every every 2 and 4 years
1: you know it just <laughs> depends on the voter um, i think people should vote for whoever they think the best candidate is uh, regardless of their political party but we know that down ballot voting is the way Political parties vote. So, if you're a Republican, you're most likely going to vote for Republicans, and if you're a Democrat, you're most likely going to vote for Democrats. Uh, and in primaries, you don't even have to say unless you're part of that party in the state of Florida. So, when it comes to the general election, you know there has to be a third party on the ballot. Um, most people don't pay attention. So, when you talk about whether or not people should vote for a third party, if you're so politically engaged that you actually know who the candidates are and know what their issues are, and there's a third party candidate that represents your values. Vote for them. But most people don't do the research on who the candidates are to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't think you should avoid voting for somebody just because you're worried it might give power to another party. That being said, um, our country faces an unprecedented threat from, in my opinion, the far left. And this might not be the time to say, I really like this person, although they're in the third party, this might be the time to say, we need to stand up with the Republicans right now and hope they don't flush the thing down the toilet like, like the Democrats did. Because if we don't stand up to the to the far left, the radical left right now, they will stack the Supreme Court. They yeah. will um, they will destroy that third branch that protects the Constitution. And that Constitution protects us from them. So um yeah, uh, where I la- have,
0: where I land, and I'll let, I'll let you finish here in a second. I just want to interject. Where yeah. I land is like you were just saying. Now is not the time, in my opinion, to yeah. go third party and vote based upon principles and values and things like that. Yeah. Take like first secure or stop. Maybe not secure, but stop the progressive left, the radical left. Stop, and then in the meantime, after that, tackle you know and work on you know growing your third party if that's where you know, your true like politics lie. But if you are against right now, the, the radical left, stop that first and then work on your, your third party and gaining more support for, for your political party. Anyway, continue.
1: No, you're hundred percent right. And, and that's the thing. I mean, even the moderates on, on the left, if you're a Democrat and you're a moderate, you have a response where's your integrity right now? Like, The Republicans, we do have Republicans standing up to the far right of the Republican Party. There's fighting going on. I don't see it on the Democrat side. I see a lot of Democrats that are just like, I'm done with that party, but they don't change their voters, voters uh, registration. Um, But there needs to be somebody with the courage. We need leaders to stand up in the Democratic Party to say, I don't agree with the the agenda of the radical left unless they do. And if they do then it's not a choice for you whether or not you're going to vote Democrat or Republican or vote for that third party. You're 100% right. Then you have to kick those people out of power because certain people don't deserve power, especially the corrupt, especially the people with a political agenda that's not consistent with our country. Look, I get it. They have other ideas and they think the world would be better if we were more like the world they envision, but that's not America. And rather than fundamentally changing America for everybody else that enjoys it, go somewhere else. I'm fine with it. Go to Canada. You know, they'd love to have you there. (laughs) But but America is not the place. America is the last hope on the planet for having a representative republic, you know, constitutional republic like ours. America is the last stop. If America falls to the radical left agenda, if they're able to institute the type of policies that have proven um, uh, tyrannical and, 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 and oppressed so many across the world. There's nowhere for anybody to go. This is still the country that people were willing to drown the Rio Grande to get to, to send their kids with, with, with smugglers, not knowing if they'll ever see them again. Not knowing if they'll be raped as they cross the border because the promise of America is that strong. You know, yeah. These are people that are, are willing to die trying to climb on C-130s as it leaves Afghanistan. This is how powerful the promise of America is. And there are people in this country that hate that about it. And they want to see that promise change. And it's because it's a threat to their power. And it all boils down to power for them. They don't like that they have to ask the voters for permission to be got, to govern them. They don't want to have to ask. They right. think they know what's best for people. And they're sick of asking for permission. If they can get rid of all elections, they would. Uh, they do their best to try to make them as unreliable as possible. You know, and not and you can't. Yeah, you don't he, need an ID to vote. You don't need an ID. Well, we, Why do we want you to have an ID to vote?
0: Yeah, um, Even even yeah. the proposal for the basically federalizing elections that they tried to, sn- yeah. tried to sneak through, was that right. last year?
1: Yeah, because elections are inconvenient for them and, and it's a threat to their power because they know that the majority of this country will not give them power. So what are we going to do about it? Uh, you're right. This isn't the time to be the um, principal. This is the time to kick those people out of office, give the Democrats an opportunity to lick their wounds and go, okay, where did we go wrong? They had that opportunity when Trump was elected. But instead of licking their wounds and reforming as a more moderate party, a party that literally got kicked out of power, uh, they impeached the president twice. They, they went farther, right, or farther left than they've ever been before. They attacked all Republicans. They've waged war on anybody who disagrees with them, and, and they're just going from there. So it's up to the American voter, even the NPAs, even the independents, even the Green Party, the libertarians, even the moderate Democrats. It is up to them to save America. And uh they need to vote for the people that are going to replace those who seek to destroy it.
0: I agree. And I think that is a a great place to to end our conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm gonna have to have you back. Maybe, you know, maybe um once yeah. I, I I can't offer you any kind of money or anything like that, but I can offer you I don't you, need money. <laughs> I can offer you a microphone. Maybe maybe you're gonna have to have your own uh yeah you're going to have to be a regular here on the counterthought podcast. So
1: it would be my pleasure. It would be my pleasure. This has been an awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed my time here. We can talk whenever you'd like.
0: Right. I I agree. So Good. David, just to finish up, um, I know, I, you know, I introduced you lawyer, political consultant on the buff show, but where can people actually find you if they want to interact with you or consume? Like if you are currently doing any writing, you know, I know you're busy with, um, with the um, election season and so on and everything else. But yeah. how can people find you on social media and interact with you in yeah. that way?
1: Um, you can find me at uh, my blog on the buff show is not just Pollock ticks. Um, Cause my name's Dave Pollock. Uh, yes. So you can find me on Facebook at not just Pollock ticks. That's Pollock dash ticks uh you can i'll put it in the, i'll put
0: true. in the description too of the of the episode yeah yeah
1: yeah so you can find me on facebook not just politics i'm on true social just david pollock and true social um on getter david pollock uh, on twitter not just pollock and um i think that's all the social media i'm on cloud hub too at david pollock if anybody's on CloudHub, hub that's where you can find me you can find my articles on the buff shows website um just look for the not just pollock ticks um page and you also see my segment on there called that just happened and so i'm featured on the homepage there and you can watch that you know ho- hopefully will be more regular on tuesdays coming up pretty soon after the election <laughs> season calms down but so you can find me there as well and stay tuned i'm going to be launching my website apollic political any day now and i'll have all, all right. my articles my blog posts and uh, i'll have all kinds of things on there and there'll be ways to interact but as for right now those are the places to find me and of course on your show whenever you have me back <laughs>
0: Yeah, breaking news, right? There's an, your own website. Awesome. That's that's fantastic. I'll have sure. to eventually. Be, I got to put it together. <laughs> yeah, you can you can do that in a weekend. I'm just kidding. Um yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. sure to check that out and be a regular sure. consumer because your, your insight is is fantastic. So, David, again, thank you for for joining me on the Counter Thought podcast, um, and we will talk again soon.
1: Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you so much.
0: All right, thanks. I really enjoyed that interview with David. If you couldn't tell there, you know, my voice, or my facial expressions, however you are consuming uh, this episode, you know, audio or video format, definitely going to have to have David back on. He is an intelligent individual. He has years of experience in politics. Um, he's currently involved in a couple of campaigns, I believe. And, you know, he's, he just, he he asks questions. He gets deep into thought. And that is one of the things that I wanted to, one of the, the things I wanted to have for this podcast, the discussions like I wanted to have, and would just want to have surface level conversations. I wanted to go deeper than that. You know, get to the second and third level of these conversations, you know, peel the onion back, really have fruitful discussions with people, you know, may agree with wholeheartedly, may have a, a little bit differing opinion, or may not agree with at all. So I hope you got I hope you found that conversation regarding the two-party system and some of the other things that we discussed you know a little tangential to the two-party system in that interview i hope you found it valuable and just think about it a little bit more after this listening to this episode watching this episode what do you think needs to be the next step if there even needs to be a next step with our two-party system for the two major parties here in america have a lot of libertarian friends. I'm sure they would love to weigh in on this. I'll probably have to bring this up to them, you know, separately offline, you know, in the DMs or host a live about it and just get them to chime in and let me know what their thoughts are. But ask yourself, what are the pros and cons of our current system? And then what are the pros and cons if we altered our system, if we opened up our system and kind of change the structure and the framework when it comes to our political parties is that going to be better for america won't really know i guess unless some action is taken but i do want to reiterate that now is not the time to vote for a third party now is not the time the progressive left the progressive democrats are ruining this country. Ruining the values and the culture of this country. Ruining the society of this country. Now is not the time to vote third party. Now is the time to stop those radicals on the left. And then after stopping them, in between the elections, work on growing the third party that you belong to, that you believe in. That is my advice. Now is not the time to to go based on your principles. And if you do want to say, well, you know, I'm a principled person. Well, how about instead ranking the principle of trying to save your country, ranking that a little bit higher than, than your politics. We who do not believe with the direction of this country that is being dragged all the way to, to the far left, to the progressive left, Now is the time for us in the midterms and then again in 2024 or 2024 to stop this. And then after being successful in that, again, then work on your third party, then work on everything else. But if we don't stop what is currently happening to our country, to our society, to our culture, to our values, then we may never have the opportunity to stop it again. Thank you for listening to CounterThought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube and engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at CounterThoughtCEO or on Facebook at Counterthought podcast.